The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Good morning, church. I had a sermon written this morning that I was so eager to preach. I was going to talk with you this morning about the gospel. We're going to look at the gospel alone. We're going to talk about our common salvation. We're going to look to the hope that we all share in Christ alone. We're going to look at the cross of Christ and revel in its glory. I was so excited to talk with you about this. It is such an old message but one that I was excited to preach once again. I found it necessary to preach to you today about a different subject though. I felt that it was time to do a switch. I scrapped my old sermon for this one. It cannot wait. We must look at this together. No matter how much I wanted to preach about our common salvation, it must wait for this message today. The message for today, we must engage. Our faith is under oppression. The message of the cross was delivered to all the saints, and we must now defend it against those that are trying to distort it. Look outside. Do you see the distortion? There are certain people and organizations that have crept in. They've done this relatively unnoticed. They've been designated for this work. These people are ungodly. They've taken the message of the cross and the grace of God, and they've twisted it for themselves. What God has declared, they have questioned. Sensuality is the message being proclaimed. They're denying Jesus as the only master and Lord. The word evangelical is so distorted that many are ashamed at using it now. Going to church and being a Christian are now seen as outdated superstitions. You can turn on the TV to the Christian channels and get a healthy dose of what I'm talking about. It is watered down at best. Our message has been perverted in the least. We have seen a decline in memberships in many prominent denominations. Churches are closing their doors every day. Fewer and fewer missionaries are being sent out. The inerrancy of Scripture is now up for debate. The message of the gospel has taken a back seat to the experience. Abortion has moved from a moral or a biblical issue to a political issue. Politics and your political party's choice are set before our calling as Christians. Personal opinion and your thoughts matter more than loving of a brother or sister. How should we respond, contend, engage, don't turn a blind eye? What is of utmost importance must be proclaimed. Everything I've just said and crafted and created. I took Jude verses 3 and 4 and I've updated the language and the stories to a modern translation. You've just heard the Curtis version of this text. 
Will you read verses 3 and 4 with me? Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Why were the things I said so believable? That's because they were true. Do you have a decent pulse of society? Most of the things I said you've probably experienced firsthand. The text of Jude is discussing a situation relevant to the direct audience of this letter. But don't forget that it is also relevant to you today. This is one of the joys of reading the text. Although we aren't the direct audience, it's still applicable to us right now. The Word of God is alive and it is active right now, right here, wherever you are. The gospel, the church, our common salvation is under attack. What should we do? We should contend. Before we step into our contending, it's important that we take a big step back and ask why. Previously on Jude, we looked at our calling. We have been called, loved, and kept by God. He has moved to us. We are servants of the Most High. Everything we do is done as an ambassador of Him. Also, we looked at three things that God desires to be multiplied within us. Mercy, peace, and love. It is out of our calling that we get our why answered for this week. When we look at contending for the faith, it is only because we are called. Without our being called, we have nothing and no one that is worthy to contend for. Our calling is the solid foundation that we can build our house upon. If you missed last week, I implore you to go back and listen to it. Again, it is vital that we understand our calling before we contend. If they get out of order, then we are no longer contending for the things God desires us to contend for. We ended last week with mercy, peace, and love. Now we are told to contend. It is almost as if Jude knew that our contending would need to be directly tied to mercy, peace, and love. We'll come back to this in a second. The purpose of this letter written by Jude to a general Christian audience is to contend. Verse 3 says this. It says, I found it necessary to write to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. This was why this letter was written. Jude felt it necessary to scrap the letter he wanted to write. To first write about these Christians contending for the faith. This is what we can expect as a modern day audience reading this letter as well. The purpose for this letter isn't lost in time. As Jude is writing to these Christians in the book, 
he's also writing to us right now. Let's hit some definitions. To contend means to strive or contest against difficulties. It's to battle, to compete, to face off. The word contend in Greek is where we get our word agonize. To contend will not be easy. It will be agonizing. Jude knew that the human heart is prone to wander. This is not a task for the faint-hearted. There is a cost to contending. James Merritt, who Wikipedia says was the president of a major denomination in the early 2000s, says this. It is right to fight when you fight for what's right. We fight because we must, not because we want to or we enjoy it. Our contending is not done out of joy, but out of humility. Remember, this is done with mercy, peace, and love. Also, I want to be clear, God doesn't need you to defend him. God is the creator of all things. He is sovereign over all, and he knows all. He is completely and perfectly all-powerful. You are none of those things. There's no battle that God cannot win. You contending isn't for God to win. If you turn one book to the right in your Bible, or you go all the way back to the beginning of your Bible, you can read how God has already won. Why, then, does God call for us to contend in this letter from Jude? It is for our own sake, as well as the other party. Have you ever been in a discussion where you think you are right, but halfway through, you realized you missed something and are completely wrong? This has never happened to any of us, of course, but we can imagine what it's like for others. It is in these moments of discussion where sides become clarified and understanding grows. I had the privilege to go to seminary. One of my favorite things was getting to be in the classroom with differing opinions regarding a theological topic. What would happen is that each side would use scripture to defend their position. These were some highly intelligent men and women both using the same text, but coming up on different sides of the issue. These discussions helped me to clarify my own theological viewpoints. As a third party, I would come out of that classroom with a more sure foundation than when I walked in. When we contend, we have the opportunity to learn and clarify our own position we also have an opportunity to correct a brother or sister in any close relationship. There will be times when we need to have the kitchen table discussions. These are the discussions where we clear the calendar, sit down across from someone we love, and have honest conversations about some of the rough spots in our lives that they have seen. This is contending but doing it with mercy, peace, and love. Jude goes into a historical section, 
which makes up the brunt of this letter and covers verses 5 through 16. He walks his audience through a series of events that show groups of people going against God and his plan. I'll give you a brief overview here. I encourage you, though, to read through these events and familiarize yourself if you haven't yet. Also, to open a can of worms here, Jude quotes from some sources that aren't part of our Bible, and yet we still hold our Bible as the perfect words of God. Jude does this because the audience at that time, he's, they're familiar with the works he's referring to. I digress. Jude shows the rejection of those of the Exodus after God had freed them from bondage in verse 5. God saved them. They rejected him. God destroyed them. We next point to a group of angels who rejected God in verse 6. It is similar. They rejected God, and he has judged them until the great day. He shows us the actions of Sodom and Gomorrah and their desire for sexual immorality over God in verse 7. He mentions that they served as an example. In verse 8, he lets us know that the people of his current day are similar to these three examples. That sounds familiar to our current day as well. It seems that many who God has, has created have rejected him. It also seems the desire for sexual immorality is over God still today. Verse 8 continues and says that they had relied upon their dreams over God. They choose to defile the flesh and go against the plan God has for sexuality. They reject God as their authority and choose to place another or even themselves as their authority. They're going against the plans that God has established for them. Jude continues, verses 8 to 16, with some lesser-known occurrences. As I said earlier, we might not be as familiar with these, but it appears that the direct audience knew what Jude was referring to. They follow as similar a pattern as the examples we already have of the Exodus, the angels, and Sodom and Gomorrah. They rejected God, and their examples are now given that we should follow. Does this again sound familiar? It describes really well what our world looks like. Let me take a step back and hit a specific place within here that I think is important to discuss. Where does a Christian's authority lie? It should lie with God alone as he reveals himself by the Spirit, and through the Scriptures. In verse 8, Jude mentions that these people are relying upon their dreams. Can God speak through dreams? Absolutely. We see he does this in Scripture. Jude isn't discussing that, though. He's pointing towards people who rely upon their dreams over God. We have God revealed in our hands right now. There are some that hold dreams to a higher level than the Word of God. That enters into some dangerous territory. Again, God can speak through dreams, 
and He has done so in the past. I believe God can still today. I also believe that God will speak to us through His Word, which we have right now. If you're waiting for God to speak today, grab your Bible and let Him. Through the power of His Spirit, He will bring life to ink on paper. Let me hit another topic here. Does God have a plan for His creation and their sexuality? Absolutely. His Word clearly articulates how we should view and behave regarding our own sexuality. How often does it seem to be under attack? I'm not referring to the attacks experienced from outside the church. I expect that. I expect that those who are far from God wouldn't behave as God desires them to. A sinner that sins shouldn't surprise us. What does surprise me, though, and what Jude is pointing towards here, is when those inside the church distort the plan that God has laid out for us. He has said to do A, and they suggest he didn't mean A, but he instead meant B. The sands are shifting. Soon, there might be no sand to stand upon. I am fearful for many churches and many denominations that the sand is shifting under. There is a rejection of authority. If we were to do a poll of every Christian in the Stone Oak area and ask them what their ultimate authority is, I would be worried. Who would they say is on that throne? Do a quick self-evaluation right now. Who or what is your ultimate authority? An easy way to check, if you have kids, ask them. If you have a calendar handy and actually use it, what does it say your ultimate authority is? When you pull up your bank statements, what do they say is your ultimate authority? It's really easy to see what we value and what motivates us when we look at some of these markers. Our world continues to proclaim an authority of self. You are your own authority. In a postmodern society, truth is relevant, and therefore, you are the judge of your own truth. The authority of an individual is that individual. Unfortunately, many churches have gone down this path of authority of self. When the Word of God is proclaimed in these arenas, it is understood through this view of authority. Without saying it, authority doesn't lie within the Word of God, but in the proclaimer's words and the hearer's ears. If your authority is based on what any single person says, then you have missed it. Let me say this clearly. I have zero authority this morning. There is only one authority being proclaimed this morning, and that is the Word of God. Any good preacher should be proclaiming the authority of the text alone. God has demonstrated His authority through these words. Today, I'm trying to simply proclaim the words of God. This letter of Jude isn't some far-off letter that requires a ton of cultural history. We can understand it so well because we're living in it right now as well. The book of Ecclesiastes declares that there is nothing new under the sun. What Jude was writing towards is still around today. Rejection of those that know God? Check. Sexual immorality? Check. 
perversion of the grace of God. Check. Within the church, there are many who have distorted the word of God. With all of this happening in Jude's time, and it also happening today, how do we respond? We contend with mercy, and with peace, and with love. We're going to look at this in two fronts. The first will be corporately, and the second will be personally. As Stone Oak Bible Church, our elders are committed to proclaiming the Word of God faithfully. We are under it as our authority. We have nothing to proclaim except Christ and Him crucified. Our understanding of this figurative pulpit that I am preaching from right now will continue to be a place where we fall on our faces and hold the Word of God as high as we can. We see this position as the figurative staff that we see in Numbers chapter 21. Numbers 21 describes when God sent serpents out that bit the people. He also, in the midst of this, commands Moses to build a bronze staff. For anyone that looked upon this staff, they would be saved. Our role is to hold the staff of God's word as high as possible, so that those who look at it will live. As an individual, how should you contend? Ways that we can contend from verses 17 through 23. He, he says that we must know the faith in verse 20. How do we know the faith? First, it can be found in the scriptures. Devote yourselves to it. Find God and how he has chosen to reveal himself. Second, it can be found in the people of God. God has created us for relationship. He himself is triune and in relationship with himself. The people of God includes you and I. Even in the midst of social distancing, we can be the people of God. Our community groups are still meeting virtually. Right now, you can say hello digitally to someone through the chat. That device that you have near you right now can also make phone calls. I know it isn't the perfect way or the perfect method, but it is a way and a method right now. Second, Jude calls us to contend with mercy and love. How we disagree matters tremendously. The world sees us and will make judgments about our God to contend and disagree. Do it with mercy and with love. How did Christ have conflict with others? From what I can see, Christ was direct, yet caring. He was the perfect example of not avoiding the tough subjects, but instead discussed them with humility while not compromising the truth. May we continue to grow in mercy and love for how we disagree. We need this more than ever today. Christians, stop it. Quit disagreeing like a jerk and claiming you're being Christ-like. Be full of mercy. Be full of love. Be peaceful. I'm, I'm not asking you to stop proclaiming the truth or watering it down, or being loose in your theology. I am asking you, with mercy, 
peace and love multiplied to contend for the faith. Contending for the faith looks odd right now. If I can speak directly for a second, if you disagree me, if you disagree with me, feel free to shoot me an email at mbingham at stoneoakbible.com. I know that watching a sermon online isn't the fun or popular thing to do. I know that it is a challenge. I know that logging into Zoom again for a community group meeting isn't what you would hope we would still be doing in July. Yet, here we are. I know that like many of you, I had hoped to be gathered together in person right now. We aren't. God isn't surprised. He knew that this virus would be here. He knew how we would respond. Here's what I want you to do right now. In the midst of an online service, in the midst of your community group being online, in the midst of coronavirus, contend. How are you responding to the current challenges we are facing? Because you are called with mercy, peace, and love, contend right now. Don't blame the format. Don't blame the virus. I don't have a crystal ball to announce when all of this will be over. I do know that God has ordained things to be like this. Are you capitalizing on the current time or not? After this is all over, will you have utilized this time well and looking more like Christ? Contend against yourself if needed. As Jude 3 says, I appeal to you to contend for the faith, including your own faith. Now to you who are not able, contend because you are called, you as a called one, you as a servant of God. You are asked to contend for the faith. I understand there'll be two general types of people when it comes to conflict. For those that are conflict averse, verses 20 through 22 are for you. To those that enjoy conflict, verses 20 through 22 are for you. Let me read those verses to you. It says this, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. I pray that we may be a beacon of light in a dark world. As the universal church continues to adapt and change, my prayer is that the message of the cross will remain unchanged. My prayer is that you who are not able will contend because you are called.